Hey, welcome to the Coach Bo Knows Podcast in the Studio Soapbox Network. I'm Coach Bo, Brian O'Connor, and we're recorded live at the undisclosed location of the O'Connor Advisor Group Studios. You can check out all things O'Connor Advisor Group at OAGKS.com. You can interact with the show on Facebook, Coach Bo Knows, or on Twitter and Instagram at Coach Bo Knows Show is the handle there. You can also email us at CoachBoKnowsShow at gmail.com. Hey, this is episode 4.0, and uh, today I'm going to have an interview with an old friend of mine, uh, Ellen Wingenter. Ellen is an attorney, lives in the Denver area, and um, we started, you probably have already heard her on the pod a couple times, uh, she's in our draft, she's a, she was, she's our fantasy football, it's the uh, token girl, and if you've known Ellen, you know that uh, she's anything but a token girl. Um, one of the most smartest, most thoughtful people I've ever known. I'm so proud to call her a friend. And where we started was just kind of chatting. We're talking about life and happiness and all sorts of things. And we got into a good time of just talking about what it's like to kind of be our age in our 40s and raising kids and a career and love and everything else. And and then in the middle of it, she did her best attorney and flips this interview where Ellen starts to interview me a little bit, kind of give you a background of where Coach Bo comes from, where the podcast comes from, kind of a lot of my thoughts on things, and uh, we have a lot of fun with this. I hope you enjoy it, and uh, let's get it started here with Ellen. Hey, welcome back to everybody. This is Coach Bo, and I am here with my good friend, Ellen Wingenter. If you've listened to the Point Five pod, you'll know Ellen from the Fantasy Football Draft. Uh, she has got her team named Token Girl, uh, sort of our one lady in the Fantasy Football Draft. And <laughs> I have known Ellen since we were teenagers. Um, Ellen is someone I have known, I love, I respect, uh, I love her like a sister, and someone I just have always admired. And we got to talking. I'll tell you what the genesis of this is. We were going to record something for Friday's podcast for the point five. We were just going to talk football and happy holiday horse shit. And we decided that, you know what? We're both going through some things, stress and being in our mid forties and kids and everything worked and everything that goes through that. And we decided that we're going to talk today and we're going to share kind of what we're going through. And we hope that you hear this and it helps you. A big part of what we do on Mondays here is to try to help you try to be somewhat positive. So Ellen, thank you for, for, first off, for being a great friend and opening up to me, allowing me to open up to you and to just take this and say, well, fuck it. Let's go ahead and tell everybody else what's going on. You know, uh, Bo, I really appreciate just talking with you. And frankly, even though I, I knew I was the third option for the draft to <laughs> come on and have a space and kind of just be somebody that maybe somebody else would recognize and kind of see in themselves. So I'm here for it. Well, I see you were the third option. It's only because the wife said no. <laughs> I asked another friend, I was going to ask you as well. She didn't want to do it. I'm going to just strangle and get her in this podcast eventually. Um, I'm here you know, for it. And you know who you are if you're listening. I'm not naming names, but you know who you are. I know you're listening. So I'm thinking of my beer. Cheers. Yes, we decided we were going to drink during this. Now we're not going to get wildly drunk where I'm on my first beer. So but we're going to talk a little bit. Look, 
Ellen and I went to high school together. We both went to college, different places. We've, we've stayed good friends the entire time. Um, background, if you know me, you know, I'm 45 years old, married to a wonderful woman who Ellen actually set me up with. Yo, yo. So that's, I had to blame her for that. <laughs> uh, we have a child. Most people know I have Peyton, who's 19 in college. Yeah, Ellen has a son, Nicholas. Yes. Nicholas is 11. Mm-hmm. And you want to describe what's kind of gone through your life and life since, I mean, you're, you're single now. You weren't married. So do you call yourself a divorcee? I don't want to say the wrong thing. Here. I don't know what to call myself at this point, which is fine. Um, I am very much a Midwestern girl, grew up in Wisconsin, moved yeah. Kansas, uh, went to the University of Southern California for my freshman year, got my uh, Pac-12 credit out there and um, came back and went to KU for undergrad and law school and uh, reconnected with a boy that I knew in high school who went to K-State, O's alma mater, and dated him through undergrad and law school after I got back in town and actually followed him to Huntsville, Alabama. Mm -hmm. And then um, figured out that that wasn't such a great fit. And excuse me, ended up meeting a guy from Wisconsin working retail with a law school degree, which is a regular occurrence, frankly, and ended up marrying the guy from Wisconsin. And then so many years later, I decided that I need to get out of Alabama and I moved out to Colorado. Uh, My brother's out here in Boulder, so Denver was a good spot. And I'm just chilling as a single mom. out here with a middle schooler who is going to go through some wonderful experiences that I'm very grateful to uh, have the opportunity to uh, see, not so much. I think one thing that we have in common, I think it's one thing that's attracted us as friends is that we've moved around a little bit. We've, you know, I'm from Louisiana. We met in Kansas, you know, we went in high school and then you went to USC. I went to K-State then I went to South Carolina and then I came back. So we've had this uh, very broad um, uh, life. We've got Mm -hmm. a lot of broad experiences in our life. And I think that's a good thing because it allows you to see some things that you normally wouldn't see if you're in one place all the time. Absolutely. Um, But the, the burden to that is that you sometimes don't have that core of people that maybe you've known for, you know, 15, 20, 30 years that you can go, that you can go see immediately. One of the things that like right now we're on zoom doing this and we can, you know, you're in Denver, I'm in Lawrence and we're eight hours apart, but we can do this on zoom. So it's nice. I can see you, you can see me. And uh, I don't know why you want to see me, but at the same time, you're glad to see me though. I am always glad to see you. (laughs) So, um, but no, it's one of those things where you, you, we start to grow up and get older and then, we go, we make our our lives change, you know? It does. And in a way that doesn't make sense because as we grow out of 
undergrad or we change jobs or we do something on our own, we don't have a built-in culture or friend group around us. We don't see people who are immediately, we are attracted to for their humor or their looks or whatever that you try to glom onto. And that is something that um, I felt very much moving out to Denver and even moving to Alabama out of law school because I was going into a place where I knew no one. Yeah, that's scary. And then it is. And even coming to Denver, it was like, okay, well, my brother's here, but I'm not going to be connected to his people. Yeah. And connecting myself to my mom isn't going to be great because she's just old or was RIP merge. Um, and so the workplace happened to be a really great opportunity for me to make those connections, but things change. Yeah. And it does. And then we all, we all go through this parts of our lives, whether, you know, you start in your career, your twenties mm-hmm. and maybe you change careers like I did, you know, in my late twenties. And then you know, now in my forties, I've changed careers. I love what I do now. Um, it allows me some freedoms, but then I've also gotten married, I've had a child, uh, I've tried to do everything I can for them. At the same time, you always feel, at least I always consider this for myself, I don't know how others feel, there's always something missing. Yes. So I would be interested, given, especially with the latter part that you've come done on your own with your own shop. What has that been like being able to connect into the community, connect into school parents, that kind of thing that doesn't replace, but somehow kind of rides along. High high school and college, those are the relationships that are formative. Yeah, they're they're formative because of how much you see somebody. Right. And all the time. And to a certain extent, you've changed a whole lot. Yes. So they've seen that and they understand your ups and downs and that kind of thing. So how has it been for you in that kind of process of going from a corporate shop to, say, your independent thing? That's a great question. So in my case, going from... You know, I worked for one of the big insurance companies as an advisor there, and I liked it. I didn't like how things were progressing, and that's when I left. It took progressing to how? I was being told what to do, what to sell to somebody. Like, okay. as a, I'm a, for those who don't know, I'm a financial advisor, and I worked for an insurance company that told me sell whole life insurance and sell annuities. Well, those are fine products at certain places and certain times. They're not right for everybody. Annuities I, are always bad. But, no, no, they're not. They're not, they're not right for everybody. Um, what I'll tell you is that the thing about it is that I realized that I wasn't working for my clients. I wasn't working for me. Yeah, I was making a paycheck, and my paycheck was deterrent and determined by how much work I worked. Mm-hmm. But what I was really working for there was so my boss could get a bigger paycheck and my boss's boss could get a bigger paycheck. Right. And that's why I was being told to do certain things. 
And that didn't sit well with me for the last couple of years I was there. Okay. And it took me, I'll tell the story. I got, we got time. So um, the insurance company I worked for, they used to have a blimp and they had a dog named Snoop. So I won't mention my name so I don't get myself sick. Uh, but when I was there, again, I had a new boss, not the guy who recruited me. I loved the guy who recruited me. Would have gone, I would have worked my whole career with him. Uh, he retired, moved to Arizona. I had somebody else who was a mentor to me who took me under his wing and he moved to Florida. And he's now about to retire in the next couple of years. Mm-hmm. And with those guys gone, I found myself where I couldn't be who I am. Look, I don't make any bones about it. I am not a suit and tie guy. I am not your typical financial guy. I'm a, in my heart and who I am. I'm a good old boy from Louisiana. You've known me for 30 years. And you know, that's true. I would like to know if the salt and pepper looks really good on you. Well, thank you. Top and bottom. Uh, yeah. It's getting, yeah. I had a hat on, but now it's off. Yeah. So yeah. I'm getting, oh, it's getting looks great. Good. Looks um, good. So, but I, I, I've stayed in that. I, I've just, I've never gotten away that I'm a good old boy from Louisiana. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't try to be, I hate the idea. I've said this before in this pod. I'm going to say it every time it comes up. I hate the idea of fake it till you make it. Mm-hmm. I think that's a total crack of bullshit. Mm-hmm. I think the most important thing you can do in business, whether that's sales, uh, is to help others. Mm-hmm. If you have good products, good services, you're a good person. If you're helping others, you can make it work. And that's what I do. I help others. I find out what their needs are. And if I can help them, I will. And if I don't think I'm the right person for them, then I won't get back to the story. So I was leaving. I knew I wanted to leave my former employer mm-hmm. and had a conversation with Jen one night. Jen's my wife. And okay. Ellen knows Jen. Um, I did that for the sake of the listeners. I'm talking to my wife and I said, I don't know what this looks like, but I want to leave. I'm not happy. Okay. Now, you know this, my wife worked for a large company for a long time. Yes. She was in management for that company and she loved that company until the day she left. She, she did. Only, she only left because she found a job she thought she'd like more closer to home. Which happens to be a great job from my and, viewpoint. Yeah, she loves her current job and she loved her <laughs> previous job. I, I can say this because I'm not disparaging it. Jen worked for Target for almost 20 years. And loved every minute of it. She, she was really knee deep and creepy and, yeah. and she it, was just pleased as punch to be there. Yeah. And, and she loved it. And and she, did. and she didn't understand where I came from at first, but she's a supportive wife and she says, Well, take your time before you make a decision. And I said, Okay. That's fair. It is. And that's smart. very fair. And it was smart. And it's smart. And what she did was, and what she told me that day, I I said, okay, well, let me start asking. So you, know, you have to be coy. You can't just put it, you can't put it on your LinkedIn page. You can't just go send out resumes. Not I had in to your ask. profession, no. No, it, I'm talking about my profession. I'm talking about my experience now. Yeah. Back to my experience. I had to tell people, I had to go to people I knew and say, hey, I'm thinking about it. What, what do I do? I went to a couple people I, I recognized and knew at other places and said, tell me about mm-hmm. it. And it took me almost a year. About six months into the process, I'm sitting down with another insurance company. I'm having an interview. We were at a hotel in Overland Park, Overland Park, Kansas. Mm-hmm. And we've had our first and second interview already. This is our third one. 
And the guy says, I would love for you to come with us. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to give you an office. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. And you're going to, you're going to do so great at this. And I got these pad, these like a portfolio pad. Yep. Blows up my portfolio pad. And I, I stood up and I said, listen, I'm not going to sit here and waste any more of your time or mine. I wish you nothing but the best in the future. This is not a good fit for me. I appreciate it. Thank you for your time. And maybe in the future, this would be a good fit. But right now, it's just not. I don't want to waste your time. Thank you. That's so, ballsy, Bo. That is really big oh, to be able well, to stand yeah. up and say, this looks great. It yeah. sounds great. But it's not a good fit for yeah. whom I am. So I went home that night. Told Jen what happened. Mm-hmm. Now, the conversation the night before was, if they offer me the job, I'm probably going to take it. Okay. But what hit me in the interview was something on my shoulder saying, is it, are you switching the devil, you know, for the devil, you don't know. This is the Fair same enough. process. This is, everything is the same. It's just simply a different name on the business card. Yep. And I was like, that's not what I want. So I went and did some searching. Now, I got really lucky. And a few months later, I found LPL financial where I'm able to do my business. They're my partner in the business which was a big deal to me. I, I operate O'Connor Advisory Group. It's my name. It's my business. LPL doesn't tell me how to do it or what to do. They don't care how much I do. They just care that I do things the right way. And they're just providing the product providing that the platforms you can. And the components. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And I love that. It was, it was pretty, the perfect fit for me. It's not the perfect fit for everybody. Sure. But it was for me. And what it opened my eyes to was that the things that I thought of when I was a little bit younger and thinking about this, there must be a better way, I realized there was. Now, that doesn't mean it's the right way for everybody. It was just the right way for me. Yeah. And that's what I think kind of liberated all my thinking and not just in business, but in my whole life. Is I thought is I thought that day going forward, I thought, okay, I can still be who I am. Mm-hmm. I know that I'm a good-hearted person who is never going to intentionally hurt somebody. That was something yeah. that was embedded into me as a child. Never intention. You're gonna say something and piss somebody off at some point in your life. You're sure. gonna say something and hurt somebody you love. And you're gonna punch somebody at some, point, punch like, at some but you, point. But you never do it on purpose. Right. And I thought, mm-hmm. okay, as long as I just never I hold myself accountable to that. Mm-hmm. That's the standard I can hold myself accountable to, then I can go forward. And I did it in business. And I'm not saying the most successful guy. I don't care. I don't compare myself to anybody. That's key. And I don't give a shit if someone makes three times as much money as I do, half as much. All I care about is that my clients are happy and that I'm happy. So now, having said that, you have other stress though. Sure. I have a stress Expe- trying to keep the lights on for the business. Yeah. Make sure that I'm pro- providing enough for my family. Um, you know, you have some internal stress of, well, my wife is working this job and she works this many hours. And sometimes I don't work that many hours. 
So does it come down to comparison at times with you and Jen of um, household balance? Yes. Of um, what either of you are providing key money, what and how you're supposed to show up in your community relative to P money, especially. I don't think it matters that much as much relative to the two of you, but I think there is a lot invested for most of us who have children as to how we reflect upon them. Yes, I agree that 100%. That's where I've come up short. Why do you say that you've come up short? Because here's what I'll tell you. You said something you were getting there earlier and we all kind of get there. You mentioned as your kid gets older and they get involved in things in school and you get involved with them. I didn't get as involved with my son at the middle school and high school level with things as I probably could have. And I regret that. I, like I'm not good friends with any of my son's high school friends don't feel bad with that yeah my my parents i think no people that i did become friends with like i had elwood on last week right which Um, was a great interview by the way thank you and that's a lot of that's elwood um but when i those people i mean like i met elwood we were both younger we were both had young kids and that's not the that's the exception not the rule Absolutely. Because there is a disconnect once we reach a certain age and being a single parent, especially even in in elementary school, I felt this, that I felt that I was an outcast from a parental standpoint and then trying and or wanting to make connections with other parents who I felt would just be like, really? I have felt that too. And the, the hardest part for me on that is that Jen is not that. No. Everyone because, likes Jen. Because of who she is. Well, she's yeah. Up, and, she's and out she's front. outgoing in that way mm-hmm. and likes people. And the thing that I say about Jen is that Jen has this, and, and Peyton has this. I don't have it like they do. They have this innate ability that when you're talking to them, they make mm-hmm. you feel like you're the only person that matters. Mm, so they're natural politicians, essentially. No. And um, they, Jen can, Jen has a smile and a welcome, and she, and she genuinely likes everybody. Well, I okay. almost clear the opposite of that. I dislike so, most people. <laughs> so do you find them to be, if they're not natural politicians, because I think you gauge that as not having an air of fakeness to whatever extent it may be to acknowledge people around you. But do they have a certain leadership ability upon which you kind of pull off on and have seen, and you're like, okay, here are pieces from Jen and Pimani that I can go ahead and pull off of because I've seen the results, they're effective. Mm-hmm. I don't have to worry about 
doing a test drive or doing a field study, yeah. it works, especially from a client base. I'm, yeah. I, I know we're jumping all over the place, yeah. but this I, I is interesting. Okay. Me. So I, I, I'm half following you here. Yeah. So I think that my, it's almost anxiety about people sometimes. Yes. Okay. Is that I don't feel worthy of people because I'm the good old boy from Louisiana. Word. Because I'm okay. not, I'm not six foot five and good looking and, and athletic, yep. you know, I'm five ten, I'm fat, I'm, you know, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I, it is what it is. And there's always that part of me that's in it. I've had this my whole life for 45 years now of yeah. I'm not good enough. Okay. So may I add to that? Okay, go ahead. In a different twist, mm-hmm. being an attorney who is a female coming from the Midwest, who then moved into the South mm-hmm. and not knowing anyone and not understanding the good old, old boy network, yeah. but being quickly introduced to it yeah. and subject to it and had gone through that grinder and then come out the other side to a different state, you know, large corporate entity instead of a firm and seeing the joy that people actually took from and gave to each other in the workplace was a fascinating thing. And I don't know if that reflects so much of the South where I was just deemed to be a Yankee who happened to know sports and then also discarded as being female and presumed to be a paralegal or an office manager or whomever. How has that shifted for you of being able to break away in your own space from having that construct around you? So I have found that I think it's easier for me mm-hmm. in some ways. Here's why I say that. I'm a man. I have things that are about me that, you know, it's an unfair advantage. Very much so. Um, I look at things and go like someone like what you're just talking about in your experiences is much tougher than anything I've ever gone through. Sure. Absolutely. I have, res- I mean, I've always admired and respect you, but I res- <laughs> admire and respect that piece because I know you're, I know you, I know other ladies, your age, you know, friends of mine, people I know, love and trust. And I've said, wow, it's even harder for them. I'm not the girl in the office. No. And, and girl is in quotes yeah. for how attorneys classify their female employees generally in the South, my, especially in rural areas, maybe yeah. primarily. My girl, my girl who does this for me, my girl who does that for me. Yeah. My girl will fix it. My girl will give my, you a call. She'll fix that up. We got you taken care of. Don't worry. Yes. I don't get that because I'm a big, I'm, 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 a, I'm a dude. And that's totally unfair. And that's where there's an inequality to that. An inequality to that. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's harder for you than for me. But how have you kind of managed 
that transition, especially going away from a larger entity to your own shop and finding your footprint? Well, was, how, I, I how, what did that look like? So what I had to do, well, a couple of things. Uh, I'll tell you the one thing that really helped me mm-hmm. was I got involved in a networking group. Um, BNI is my networking group. BNI is BNI worldwide. And I'm yeah. in a chapter here in Lawrence. I have been for, God, six years probably. I was the original president of our group. I was in a group before that for a few months. It's, it's a referral network. Mm-hmm. But what I've got is like those people were like, you have a, uh, when you work for a company, you have mm-hmm. this, you have a cubicle mate, someone next to you, or you have an office mate next door. You know, you talk about like work spouses is a, a word you hear a lot. Yes. You know, Jen had that. She had somebody she worked with for years who is still a great friend and they're both doing different things now, but they're still great friends because you work every single day with that person for five, 10, 15 years. They know you. They're your family. Well, that's where you're spending 80% of your day. That's right? right. Now, in my previous career, before I was a financial advisor, I did have one person that was sort of that work spouse with me for a mm-hmm. couple of years. And that person and I are still friends. And that person is a lot like you, is someone who's about our age, single mom, and we're still friends and we still have these conversations. That's where I learned a lot of, well, I got some built-in advantages. But at the same time, going to your question is the hardest part for me has mm-hmm. been finding that stability. I come to work, I'm the only one in this office. Right. And so what do I do for that? Because it's just the next person in the next person out. You know, Absolutely. Three times a day. So what I have found was I have a networking group and I have some friends in that group who have become very, very close friends. And they have in turn kind of become work spouses in a way. You know, and a couple of them are buddies who are now just, you know, they're just, they're just my buddies now. And a couple right. of them are people who, a couple of them are older, a couple of them are younger, and you people that you, you get to kind of feed off that a little bit. So that is the hardest part of being on your own, is that camaraderie of people. No, absolutely. I agree with that. I was in um, the same group that you were involved in, yeah. in Alabama. Yeah. And one of the primary connections which I built was financial planner who need an attorney to be able to refer um, customers to and clients to say, Hey, okay, we've got all these great investments. We understand how things are set up, but unfortunately there is an end game. So let's plan that out too. And it was a very ripe um, option for people to inter-refer to, and especially within our group yeah. type field, though, since I was in your space from a yeah. legal side yeah. prior to Absolutely. what I'm doing now, Very it's, it's attorneys, it's insurance from mm-hmm. things that you can't provide, yeah. it's yeah. accountants, that kind of thing that can be really important to help people who are, frankly, in my mind, brave enough just step out on their own yeah. and figure that out yeah. and kind of build that business because yeah. it really is 
a tendril kind of thing yeah. that everyone is helping each other, which yes. is great. And it is. And I, and I, I think my BNI chapter, I was in one for about six, eight months here in London. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't a real good fit in that group. They all kind of knew each other. They'd been in there for seven, eight, nine years. Um, yeah. I wasn't the financial guy. I was the life insurance guy because I had my life insurance background. And mm-hmm. there was no synergy with me in the life, me and the financial advisor because I did everything he did and he did everything I did. Yeah. So you don't have that. It just wasn't a good fit. I was very fortunate in my case that I had a guy who, who owns the BNI chapters for the, for the state of Kansas. Okay. And someone I got to know came to me one day and said, hey, I want to build a second chapter in Lawrence. And I said, man, I'd love to do it if I could be the financial guy. And he goes, let's do it. And so me and two others started building the group. And we got to 20. And now we're at like 25. We've gone up. We've gone down. Sure. We stayed between 20 and 30 for the last five, six years. Um, what kind of struck an accord with me? Like I had a situation where you mentioned you know, going out on your own, I've always felt, uh, I've always felt inferior in many ways. Mm-hmm. I just always have. I just, it's just a natural who I am. Mm-hmm. Um, but when we decided it was 17 of us and we had this group and we, we got, we got chartered as a group mm-hmm. in that group, we had to elect a president. Mm-hmm. So the guy from corporate comes in, he describes all the different spots and you have to list the two people you think would be really good. Somehow I got listed on 16 out of 17 ballots for president. Congrats. And I got the phone call from the guy about 30 minutes of the meeting. He said, look, I just went through the ballots to look at president first. Here's what. He said, you were on damn near all of them. He said, it was all but one. I said, okay. I knew the one I wasn't. It was mine. Fair. So, Congratulations. I both myself. Um, so what I did was I went and got with people in that group. And I said, okay, look, if I'm going to be president of this, Mm-hmm. We're not going to be stuffy. If we want stuffy people, this ain't going to be the right group. Mm-hmm. So I go to BNI every Tuesday, 1130. And our group is a madhouse. I've been to other BNI chapters in Wichita, Lawrence, Topeka, all over Kansas City. And they're all very stuffy and all very formal. And we joke around. And we have a good time. And we've referred a million and a half dollars of business each other, each other this year. And a part of that is we care about each other. We work for each other. Mm-hmm. We, 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 have, we all come from that mindset of, hey, look, if you want to be a stuffy person, this ain't the right spot for you. If you want to come in here and just show up and not do the work, you ain't going to be here long. So given your experience that's of giving, having... That's giving me some of that that I've missed. No, no. I think it's, it's a great arc to actually explain... Yeah. Um, especially for younger entrepreneurs that are coming into the space and not really having any idea of what they're walking into or any age entrepreneurs, frankly, because we all have to start from scratch. So from that point, I would be curious to hear from you. What was the biggest gain or knowledge point that you got from a big box, big company space that you were able to carry over into your own shop? That's a really good question. I had to think about that for a minute. Let me think here. Um, that's, that space is never good on the podcast. Um, I, 
I'm going to ask a lot of really random I think, questions. Uh, I think the, <laughs> the biggest thing I got from working in corporate America, and I didn't do a lot of them, but when I did, was accountability. Mm-hmm. Because if, especially in the job I was in, if you didn't do well, you were gone. They're not going to put money out for you to not be producing. Yep. So um, you had to have numbers. You had to have did. numbers. I mean, it was basically okay. sales. If you don't, if you don't have numbers, then screw you. We don't have time for you. Yep. Um, so there was accountability. Um, I, I think, God, I think that's the number one thing. I think that did carry over in a way with me, is that I did have to make myself accountable. Uh, how I make myself accountable is different. Okay. Like I'm not. So speak account- to that a little bit. Okay. So then it was to keep my job. It was to try to get the praise of my boss, to try to win this leader's conference or chairman's conference, you know, to go on a trip or whatever. I'm only responsible to two people. Well, three, me, Jen, and Peyton. And if I want to take a week off of work so that I can take my family somewhere, Mm -hmm. I I don't have to ask the boss for a week off. Right. If, if I'm, we talked before we got on, one thing that's kind of led to this conversation is a lot of stress we've both been dealing with. Mm-hmm. Last week, I stressed out so bad that I, I, I just told Jen and Peyton, I'm going to the basement. I want to be left alone. For you. <laughs> and, You've got to be able to ask for that, whether it's in your did, home life or professionally. And I did. And I went down there and I just watched TV mm-hmm. and I did a couple things. And I just said, I needed a little space for myself for just a few mm-hmm. hours. And we, I get a lot of that anyway. It's just how me and Jen's relationship works. We give each other a lot of space, um, which I'm very thankful for. But what I, later that week, getting sort of that accountability to me was, well, damn, I shunned her off, basically. Mm-hmm. That's got to be fucking hurtful. What kind, of, what kind of a husband is that? So I went on Amazon. I bought a little something for her. It cost like 15 bucks. I mean, it was, you know, just some, just some, and I, I left her a little note on Friday, a little, little something, thing saying, "Hey, thanks for putting up my grumpiness on Monday, on Tuesday." And you know, I don't know if it was good, bad, or indifferent. I don't know if it made any difference or not, but it it made me feel a little better, and it, and hopefully it did make her feel better. You know, she came to me Saturday morning and said, "Hey, um, my sister wants me to go to the K State game. You know, we were going to spend the day together," and I was like, "Cool." Yeah, have fun. Go be. You don't get to do that often. Go do that. You know, we encourage each other that way. And Which there's no jealousy. That way. Yeah, and there's no jealousy that way. That's the number mm-hmm. one thing I'll tell people: if you're married, do not be jealous of your spouse. You, your spouse is going to have a work spouse. Most likely, that work spouse is of the opposite sex. Well, and I'm. I had to deal with it both ways, and it's never good. But no. if you just, if you trust them, they trust you, you're fine. Well, and the thing of it is, is that on top of that, it's not only the work spouse, it's the outer friend spouse or group thereof that they're texting all the time and downloading different things. Yeah. And you don't know who is getting what information yeah. downloaded to them. Yeah. So you just have to have trust. Trust is a huge thing, whether it's professionally or personally. Yeah. You have to be able to have that because 
if you don't, you can't have a fluid conversation, which makes sense. So again, we talked about like, you know, part of it's trust. You have to trust somebody. And, you know, that's sometimes difficult. But, sure. um, you know, in the end, if it's going to work, it's going to work. If, it, if you don't have trust, then no relationship works. Whether that's a, a marriage, whether it's a friendship, whether it's a business relationship. If you don't have some sort of trust, it's never going to work. So this is what leads me to an interesting question relative to that. How do people who are looking to try something new, whether it be on their own or a new job or even an all new career? Okay. How did you get to the place that you could trust your instinct Ooh. and gut to jump streams hmm. kind of during a phase in your career when most people are kind of digging into what they're doing? So I think part of the idea of me doing my own thing, Mm -hmm. job-wise and career-wise, was half-ass out of necessity. Fair. I I also knew that if I stayed true to who I am, I wasn't Mm going to stay there much longer, not by my choice. Okay. Like, they just were going to be like, hey, we don't want this guy. So there was that part to it as well. I'm not going to just say it was just all me all of a sudden going, I'm the greatest. So that's not, that's not the case. I mean, that is part of the case. Part of, I mean, I don't mean I'm the greatest. It meant that there was part of me that said, I want to go on my own and see what I can do. I hear you. But part of it, at first it was, I don't like this. I don't okay. like being here. Let me see what else is out there. And then I had the kind of the come to Jesus moment, you know, with the insurance guy. And I went, okay. I don't know what this looks like. And I went home and I told you, I don't know what this looks like, but think I know what I want. Let me figure that out. And I would tell anybody, if you're in a corporate job and you are thinking, if your prevailing thoughts are, there has to be a better way, Mm -hmm. then that is what can drive you to doing your own thing. It, but you have to figure out what that thing is. You have to figure out what, not exactly how you do business, but you have to figure out what your values are. So that is really interesting because it also ties back into your initial point that you didn't want to be dictated from the powers on high as to what the products you were selling, how you were selling them, who you were selling them to. So in that aspect, also, I really enjoy listening to how you kind of came to your business mode, model, whatever the fuck they call things as far as corporate nonsense. Like, how were you able to feel comfortable in selling yourself because it's a very service yes related industry and yet also knowing to protect and serve your clients at the same time how did that look as that was kind of coming together for you as your ethos for your standalone so to me they're one thing okay 
And there one you mentioned, you know, how do you build it? And then how do you be true to your clients? Mm-hmm. If you build a business like I do, whether you're a financial advisor, a lawyer, a doctor, or anything in those service type of industries, mm-hmm. as long as you're building your something, and in my case, it is very simple. Clients first. Clients first. I mean, okay. if here's what I figured out also. I'm really good at what I do. I'm really good at taking someone and figuring out what their needs are mm-hmm. and then going back and finding something to help them. Now, what I would tell people, and I look, I'm a financial advisor. I manage a lot of money for people, but I am not the world's greatest money manager. And that's what people think financial advisors do. Correct. That is not what I do. I have a lot of people at LPL who help me with that. What do I do is I solve problems. You know, I go back to the idea of um, Pulp Fiction, Winston Wolf. You must be, you're Winston Wolf. Yes, I, I'm Winston Wolf. Yes. I solve problems. Yes. That's what yes. I do. I solve problems. Someone comes into my office and they say, I'm thinking about retiring in a year. Mm-hmm. Or I'm thinking about changing careers and mm-hmm. I got to know what to do about some things. Uh, my wife and I are thinking about having children and we want to save for college. Mm-hmm. We, you have to create, there has to be some kind of, if there's not a problem to be solved, I'm not good for you. If you're just saying, here's a million dollars, make me as much money as possible. I'm the wrong guy. Now I want that client, but you know what that client's going to do in six months? They're going to look at their statement and they're going to go, you didn't make me enough money. Even if I made them a lot of money, yep. which I have done. I have made people a lot of money, but, that, but it, in those situations, it's never enough. And so it has to be, there's a need. Hey, we made you good money. And, and look, my clients have made mm-hmm. a lot of money, especially in the last 18 months. Mm-hmm. But what I, again, the, what they don't talk about, they love returns. But you know what no client has ever done to me? What's that? No client has ever come to me and said, this other guy is going to work with me because he's going to make me more money. Because that's never been the problem. If a hey. client comes to me and says, I'm not making enough money, I know that that's either... You know, they're full of shit, or I have to drill down and find the real problem. So to that point, I would be curious to know how you problem solve in those instances where someone comes in and they're like, hey, I want to do X. How do you see, how do you see the field of play and how do you problem solve for those issues in a way which makes sense for people and still allows them to feel comfortable. You have to take time. Mm-hmm. You cannot just do it the first time you meet somebody. You have to get to know them a little bit. You got to ask some probing questions. You have to almost apologize for asking probing questions. Mm-hmm. No, I, someone says, well, we, you know, husband and wife are sitting there and they say, well, we have four children. You know what the first question I ask is? Whose children are, are they? Are they, exactly. <laughs> it's, are they all four of them, both of your children? Or, mm-hmm. or are they two of them one and two of another? And here's why. It's a probing question. Absolutely. It's a question that's going to lead to something else. Well, and because frankly. I need to know as much information as possible. From a planning standpoint, in that instance, it's yeah. so critical. Yeah. So and, critical. And then I have to ask, you have four kids. Do you have special needs? 
I, I get pissed because I hear about other advisors that don't do that. Now, I tell this story about money. Uh, this was, God, right after I went on my own, like a year after I went on my own. Mm-hmm. I had a client refer somebody to me. Okay. This person was an executive for a large telecom company that recently got bought in Kansas City. And I went and met this person at their $1.5 million home in Leewood, Kansas. And I walked in there and here is the good old boy from Louisiana in a golf shirt and slacks. I don't wear suits unless I'm at a funeral or a wedding. Mm-hmm. And I walked in there and I could tell him five minutes this guy did not want me. I could tell him. And I even said it to him. I said, listen, what you're looking for is someone to try to make you rich. And that's not what I do. You're looking for a guy in a $2,000 suit with a $100 haircut. And that's not me. I'm going to give you a name of somebody that I know, I like, and I think you'll be good with. And I gave him to a friend of mine. Guy mm-hmm. I, I said, you don't have to call him. But if you'd like to, here's who I'd recommend. I was there 20 minutes. I didn't want to waste the guy's time. I didn't want to waste my time. Because I told him, like I said to the guy, look. If you come to me in six months, you're not going to be happy because you're Absolutely. no matter no matter what the results are, positive or negative, they won't be good enough. So one thing that you and I have both shared on a variety of levels is having empathy, having concern and care for other people. And I would be interested to hear from you in your practice and your experience, especially in the financial space, how that has benefited you. So I say that again, because I'm I'm with you most of the way. Um, How my experience in work is helping my life. Right. So, I mean, your main focus is your clients and how you can benefit them, not how you can benefit your bottom line. So at some level, that is empathy. Yeah. So how do you benefit your, how do you affect your bottom line? Well, no, like how has the use of empathy helped your practice, build your business and that kind of thing? Because I think that is one thing that has been exposed over the last several years is the necessity to have empathy. Yeah. As opposed to just seeing everything as a business line item. Yeah. So I think in my case, it, it because I'm sort of the problem solver, mm-hmm. I what I'm especially good at is solving a particular problem. And that's when someone's ready to retire and there are certain decisions they have to make. And I just have a lot of experience in that now. It's profitable to my business because the nature of that problem lends itself to ongoing income and upfront income. It's because of the nature of how you do some things. So to my bottom line, that's helped. Um, What I have figured out is by being, I call it a retirement income plan. The majority of what I do is retirement income. It's about 60% of 60, 70% of what I do. It's very profitable, but at the same time, it's exactly what my skills are best at. 
And so that empathy that I show to people and that I, that I really feel, it's not just a show, it's really how I feel. Um, it kind of correlates in that way, almost in a synergy. It, it's almost by chance. Mm-hmm. There's some chance to that. I mean, it's just the nature of how that business actually works. Mm-hmm. There's, um, I, I, I've been very lucky. I, I do like to say that, you know, there, luck's kind of overrated. It's, you know, luck is where opportunity meets preparation. You know, I, I, I've gotten lucky at times, but I feel like I've been lucky because I've been prepared. Okay, that's fair. Yeah. And I think that I'm not always, but I think I've made my own luck sometimes in that. I, you know, I, I, I'm, I've done that because I've gotten good at one particular thing or in a couple of particular things. Mm-hmm. And when I'm good at that, well, then I know where to, I seek out that, that I'm good at. You know, it's the same as if you're an attorney, you're an attorney. Yep. If God forbid, I was going to get divorced tomorrow. I wouldn't hire you as my divorce attorney yet. No experience stuff. Oh, hell no. My, my experience is very limited and yeah. you don't want, you don't want me. No, to. exactly. That's nonsense. So I, it, it's and not, not because I don't love you to death because I would love to hire you to do something, but I know as it's not your experience. And I know that you were, you're professional enough to tell me, Bo, I, I ain't the right person for you for this. That's all it is. Hmm. That's all it is. It's just being honest. It's being truthful with who you are and not trying to, again, it goes back to the line I said earlier. I do not believe in the fake it till you make it. I think that is the biggest crock of shit that's ever been said. <laughs> people our age are lower. I, I, I meet people who are younger all the time and they'll say, well, you know, what do I need to do to be successful? Well, you have to work hard. You have to have a little bit of luck, but that luck is just being prepared. Yes. And when an opportunity comes, being prepared for it. And someone will tell me, well, you, you know, I, I just believe when you can fake it till you make it. Someone's going to see through your bullshit. Absolutely. Because you will People start leaking so much. It's just yeah. going to come. Yeah. Your shit's coming through the holes the, at some the point. The first time you do it, the first time you get a big client because you were a bullshit artist, you know what's going to happen? Mm-hmm. You're going to lose that client first off. And secondly, now you've started the idea that you can be a bullshit artist. Mm. And you're going to keep doing it because it's the shortcut. And it doesn't work in any facet of life. It doesn't work being a coach. It doesn't work being a parent. It doesn't work being a spouse. It doesn't work owning a business, working for somebody else. There's no point in life where being a bullshit artist actually works and helps. So as you're kind of building this platform and you kind of have two sides to the coin since I'm now taking over and interviewing you, because I think it's important for your audience yeah. to actually have you know me a little bit. I, I agree. That's not what I wanted this to be, but it, I know. I, but I'm, glad it kinda, I'm kinda glad it has. It's, it's, yeah. it's fine. And if there's so, anybody I'd want doing it, it'd be you. <laughs> so to that point, as you're kind of seeing things from someone like me, a middle-aged person who has lived a relatively normal life, yeah, 
what kind of advice would you give on the professional side as well as the personal side, given that you're also seeing P-Money coming up and dealing with a bunch of bullshit that we never had to deal with? Okay, I'll start this. The personal side is mostly for my knowledge okay. with Nicholas. Professional side, here's what I'll tell you. Professional side, stay true to who you are. That's the number one thing you can do. If it's not a good fit, then just don't do it. And, and but how long, how long do you give it until you figure out that it's not a good fit? I don't know. That's not a okay. question I can answer for somebody else. It's individual to everybody. It is. It's really what you can take. And I will say that people who are younger than us, and again, we're in our forties. Yep. Mid forties. You know, mid forties, you know, we're kind of in that, that sandwich thing. We got, we got children who are growing up and we have mm-hmm. parents that are, that are getting older. Now we both have lost both of our parents, both of us. Yep. Have, and, but, but a lot of people who are our age are having to deal with aging parents. Well, and it's I'm responsibility. Yep. And we've had to deal with the and we've analog deal- and yep. digital kind of thing all hitting ahead so yeah we both had to deal with you know an aging parents and then losing those Mm -hmm. parents and you know i know in my case i lost them both really young and and yeah you know but at the same time um i just i I can't speak for someone else when it comes to what's what you can handle that's up to you i I can't say you can do this you can do that maybe you can't the where i was going with that is that younger people don't realize there's a toughness they don't know about yet People who are in their 20s. No, that's super interesting. Yeah, I see it all the time. You know, people who are in their 20s and they jump from job to job and they they side job, they side jump, you know, they they take a similar role for a little more money. Lateral movement. Yeah, Mm -hmm. and they try to climb the ladder quickly. Look, it ain't done overnight. Now, it doesn't mean you have to work somewhere for 20 years and get a watch and look kicking your ass on the way out the door. I don't agree with that either. But it has to be, you have to gain experience first. And you have to let life kick you in the ass a little bit sometimes too. Because, but go ahead. I would be curious to this thought that I have is that you can't, regardless of it being professional or personal, you can't carry all those burdens yourself. That's the number one problem I have with my folks. Understood. The number one problem I have is that I let too many things kick me in the ass. Now, you asked about as a parent. Mm-hmm. The hardest part of parenting to me is trying to be fair, but also trying to. The biggest mistake is that we don't realize that our children cannot see with our eyes. Mm-hmm. They cannot understand that we've lived the experiences in many ways they've already gone through or are going through and that sure. cannot take and learn from the mistakes we've already made. You know, my kid is 19. Made a lot of, he made a few stupid mistakes here in the last couple of years of school related. And it's like, son, I warned you, you know, but he can't see it through my eyes. He can't learn from my experience as much as I tell him the stories. It doesn't help. Because there, there isn't that empathy. He doesn't have the idea of how to do that because he is just 19. Well, and empathy, I don't think even comes into that. It's just straight 
experience. It's experience, yeah, it's probably a better word. And you know, in your case, your kid's eleven years old, almost twelve. Mm-hmm. And that's a whole different animal you're about to get into. I'm so very not excited. So I always said my funnest parts as a dad was age four to nine. Mm. He wasn't a baby anymore. He was a toddler. He was he was starting school, and everything that mom and dad did was cool. Yeah. For me, it was a little bit different because my situation was different and it's going to be different for everybody, but I was really curious to kind of see that time plate that you laid out. Um, The teenager years are the toughest. Oh yeah. I'm greatly looking forward to that. Uh, You're going to have things like smells. You're going to argue about smells. Um, Smells have already started. Yeah. And you're going to argue about it. God, I've um, thankfully already instituted him doing his own laundry. So all those dirty socks and and, uh, towels can be handled by him because I've got my own avenue of that Uh nonsense. And it's fine. Yeah. There are, you know, there's things like that. I mean, there's things you want to give your kids some responsibility um well you need to it's not just you want to they have to learn at some point and this is the safest place hopefully for most kids to learn um you have to give them some responsibility Mm -hmm. you have to let them grow how they're going to grow the hardest part of being a parent especially when your kids get to become teenagers and older is Mm -hmm. letting them fail yeah it's letting them fail. Well, let me rephrase that. It's letting um, them fail when they work at some. The 11 year old is doing a booty shake on the side. Oh, nice. So, yeah. Letting them fail when they work hard at something or they try hard, that's really difficult. But it's it is. What's it not, is. What's really the, the hardest part is when they fail when you know they're worthy of so much more, they just haven't put the damn work in. Whether it's academically, sports, whatever. You know, with my kid, it was academic sometimes. It was like, you know, some things were easy and some things were hard and he just shied away from the hard stuff, which we all do in life. Sure. But we have to learn those things when they're teenagers, you know, those experiences. And that's what I was trying to tell my son these years is, you have to learn now. That's why you do things this way. You know, everything I have to do to make my son understand, I have to relate to sports in some way, shape, or form. Like, I had to explain school and work. Like, I had to say, okay, son, you go to class, they give you a syllabus. That's basically your schedule. Mm-hmm. And they're going to say, you got this thing due here, this thing due here, this test, this, this exam, this quiz. Those are the games. You got to study in between. Study is practice. Nobody you, wins the game without studying, without practice. You've got to read your book, right? Yeah, Playbook, play whatever. But yeah. And so it took till I got that point across to him that way. Because what he wants to do is he wants to go get on, but in high school, he wants to get on huddle and look at game film. He doesn't mind doing math homework because he likes math. But boy, he hated English. He hated history class. 
because you like to read. Right. And we find out about, he's, we all find out he's, I learned disability because of reading. So this is that. You know, so it's like, okay, well, this is what you've got to understand. You've got to understand these things. And this is what's the hardest part of being a parent. So then you have to let your kids fail, but you can only let them fail that little bit. Like they just enough to where they go, where, where it's heartbreak. Yeah. Like, and then relationships come around. Mm. And we were lucky. We didn't have any, a lot of that, a lot of that drama in our lives that, 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 at that age. But I've made the point of saying, you know, eventually someone's going to come along. He's going to be interested. They're not. That's not going to be good. But he's going to get his heart broken. And when that happens, you have to live with it. And you just move on. And, yeah. you know, you have to, th- those, those things. That, but see, you don't know, no 19-year-old, especially no 12-year-old kid is going to have an idea of that. Hell, I, I'm in my 40s. And it's just you, times where you look and you go, wow. You know, if, if Jen were gone tomorrow, I'd be heartbroken. Oh, I don't know um, how to recover. I don't know how I'd recover. I, I know that that is an absolutely true response. Uh, having been out of the dating scene for, I guess, five years at this point, mm-hmm. um, not wanting to engage with the internet nonsense of yeah. what it is. Um, and also, frankly, trying to be mindful of having a young kid in the house. Yeah, and that's even harder. I've not done it perfectly. Yeah. Someone asked me today what I uh, built my worth on. Oh, good question. Because I was questioning her. And I said... I consider my worth built on kindness, both to others and myself. And Hmm. quite frankly, I tend to fail the most at myself because so much of my space is given up to the relationship with other people and how they consider and see me. And I think that is something that parents can kind of pass along and say, even if people don't get who you are, um, that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think that luckily we talked about there's advantages, there's disadvantages to kids who are our kids ages now. Mm-hmm. So the world is a small place to them now. Sure. And even to us, it was smaller than, than, than it was to our, fa- our parents before them, for us, totally. and so on and so forth. But I think that one thing you just brought up there, we think about that is um, the world is more accepting now of individualism yes. and being who you want to be. And I think that's wonderful. I think it's wonderful that we can be who we want to be. We're not hard. No one gets up in the morning and says, who am I going to fuck over today? If you are, you're just a terrible fucking shitty person. And you should kill yourself. Sign on. But if you're not, if you're just a normal 99.99% of us in this world, you get up in the morning and you do wonder, what is your self-worth? And there are people going through things that we all have our problems. 
Mm-hmm. Whether you call it midlife crisis or parenting or business or whatever that might be. There are people who have identity issues because of how they identify, you know, because of how they feel, you know, of who they are physically as well as mentally. Yeah. Our world is starting to accept that. I'm happy that our world accepts that now. I've become much more liberal in that way as I get older. And I believe that that is something that's a positive because people don't have to fit into a box anymore. Our kids don't have to fit in a box. And we can tell them you can be who you want to be. But but we have to understand that our kids also need those same people need to understand that you can be who you want to be if you're not harming other people. Right. And, you can, if somebody tells you, I identify as this, you can be like, great. And what's next? Yeah, I, I just, so I think that for, luckily for the kids who are coming behind us, the younger kids, mm-hmm. I hope, I hope for them that they are able to have a higher self-worth because there is more social acceptance of that. Here's my concern is that due to social media, and this is what I'm seeing, Nicholas, frankly, is that there's so much pressure from that level of Snapchat, Instagram, Discord, you know, iMessage, whatever, that people are like, oh, I'm looking like this. And I'm thankful that you and I were able to be in a time frame that we didn't have to deal with that because oh, yeah. I'm, I am not, time. I am not sure that I would have dealt with anything from 14 to 24. Well, yeah. I just, I, 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 I wouldn't. And have. I think it's, I think it's even harder. I do. I, and I'm empathetic of this is that I think it's harder for people who, identify differently. I think it's also harder for women. Yeah. Women are held to a different standard since they're little girls. Yeah. You ever notice that it's always, if we have a friend, and this is an example, mm-hmm. posts a picture of their daughter at the homecoming dance. Mm-hmm. Their comments, are, you, and you see 20 comments. No one means anything bad by this, but they always say, what a beautiful young lady. So much of women's self-worth and Social worth is based upon looks. It's totally not. And that's why it is difficult for me to even desire to go into the dating pool with people that are complete strangers. Because here are my photographs, which are filtered to whatever extent. And the dude is coming back to me with some hey, you want to ride this? Or would you like my dick pic? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, no. And that starts when they're young too. And that's. It does. It's awful. I'm so blessed I had a boy. I'm so blessed I had a boy. Because I can't imagine what, what people with young girls, what young daughters are dealing with. But the thing of it is, is that even Nicholas, Yesterday was the first gym day that they had with their uniforms. Everyone had them. And so they were changing in the locker room for the first time. And Mm -hmm. he was just like, this is weird. Weird. People are seeing me and I'm, no one is allowed that kind of awkwardness anymore. Yeah, Yeah, I agree. Um, I think that 
think you're onto something there. And I think that I think the best we can do is just work with our kids and the people who are in our atmosphere. Yeah. And say, hey, here's what you need to understand. Yes. Um, totally. I, I, and that's frankly, a hard thing. that's a hard thing to do. I would just like hard note for our boy back in the production room. This is going to be an interview by me of Bo. So <laughs> the audience gets yes. to know him and you can cut all this shit out. I'm Tyler and I will figure something out. It, it, I, you know what? We're probably not taking any of this stuff out. No, this will be ridiculous. This We're is like, going to be awesome. This is going to be, you know, what's funny so far. So this is, hmm. this is going to be what episode four. Um, every episode I've done something a little different. And I've got the positive feedback I've gotten has been overwhelming. I'm, I'm thrilled to hear that for you. It's been overwhelming. It, it's uh, because each thing's been different. And that's what I really wanted. I wanted that the, these Monday pods to be about, you know, whether it was, you know, originally it was going to be about, you know, coaching and, and how mm-hmm. we're all kind of coaches. And that, that comes out. Me and Elle will talk a little bit about that. And I had Coach yep. Carl on and and Ray B week one. And, and I know that we're, and we're going to have some of those weeks still coming up. Um, and we got some great guests coming in the next few weeks, but it's going to be, sometimes you just run into this and you go, Hey man, this is something we can share with people because it can help. And I hope that somebody got, I hope that somebody listens to this and says, man, I feel that same pain. I'm not alone. Well, and, and that's my thought too, at this point, because being a parent in this era of the beautiful beatitude that we are in, um, just being a parent regardless is tough. There's no guidepost. And then if you're jumping your professional career on top of it and trying to figure it out, and if you're doing something solo, if you're trying to even just change lanes, it's kind of like, uh, yeah. do I do this it's scary and it is all of it is scary and I think there has to be frankly some acknowledgement of the fact that it all sucks it's all scary it's never going to be the same for anyone and this is why we drink we do drugs we eat more than we should. We seek out things that society would tell us are quote unquote wrong. Mm-hmm. It's, these are the things that force us to try to find a release valve. So to your point, oh, if we can be an outlet for people to understand that they're not alone in this, yeah, I'm here for it. Yeah. I agree. I think that it's important. That's why I did the podcast. It wasn't to try to make money. I don't want to make a dime off this. I don't care. It's about, it's not about building my business either. It's about, I wanted to kind of give back. I wanted to have some fun doing it. I've had a blast doing it. That's and, great. And, I mean, and because, why else, you know, if you're not having fun while you're it. doing it, it's just yeah. too much effort on top yes. of it, right? Because like you were saying, it's just another thing you stress out about. Right. And we all got that. And that's where this whole thing started tonight was where you and I were talking offline about how much goddamn stress we've been under lately. Yeah. It's a lot. And I find it funny. Um, have you ever seen the movie This Is 40? Yes. 
Um, now I know that you are no longer married, but I first saw that movie a few years ago and I thought, God damn, this is my life. <laughs> I mean, here I I was like, there is so many parallels to my life in that movie. And I was like, yeah. you know, owning a business, sometimes having it, sometimes it's rough, sometimes it's not. Yeah. You want to make your spouse happy, you have kids, all those things. And it's like, oh my God, this has to be the most stressful time of life, isn't it? It I think it has to be because regardless if you're partnered, you're trying to figure out what in reality, because there's so such a small portion of people who actually understand and chase what makes them happy. And then there's a huge slot of us who have decided that this is our checklist in life and we're going to check this, this, and this. And then we've checked those things, Mm -hmm. but our Disney ideal hasn't actually come to fruition because it's nonsense. And all of a sudden, we're having to deal with the fact that we grew up with um, parents who were adverse to confrontation, who drop things at a drop of a hat, who cared to build everything with that agitation, anger, because it served them or people who were happy. That people that were happy is such a small data point. Yeah. And we all have our fronts all the way up. We all make it look like we're happy. And none of us really know how to function in relationships. And it's different from our grandparents because they have a whole other line of bullshit to deal with or great grandparents but the rest of us were fed on media telling us this is how the perfect perfect thing looks and this is what you need to seek and if you're not doing that then this is wrong yeah i agree and and uh, this has been been eye-opening it's you know you wonder is am I going through the same? Is anybody else going through what I'm going through? There are so many people who are going yeah. through what you're going through, and we're all going through it in some way, shape, or form. It, it and you know, it, it's we just all kind of got each other to help, but but no one wants to ask for help, either. right? Because everyone is, is afraid of being called out, of being weirdo, or yeah. oh my god, there's something going wrong in that household, or whatever. Uh, it's yeah. tough. Yeah, everybody. I mean, I agree 100. I'm with you here. So, hey, we're gonna wrap this up. Um, I, Ellen, I, you and I could talk for hours. We have talked for hours before, and we could do this anytime you want to come on. You're always welcome. And this is gonna be fun. It's been a great time, and I really appreciate it. Um. Let's, uh, we'll have you on anytime. We're going to be talking football a little bit here and there as well. So you'll be our token girl. Let me know. I do need you to clear up that. So I stay out of trouble that you chose the name token girl. I, I clearly chose yeah. token girl because yeah. I am the lone yeah. female I tried. in this I tried group. I to get a couple others and I don't, I guess I wasn't charming and convincing enough. 
I was the last choice and I still picked it up. Yeah. So, so yeah. You were my third round pick. What do I got to say? Hey, man. <laughs> you were not the third round pick. Well, you, you, it was, there was, there was a bench of three of you. And I was like, one of them is going to say yes. It's a value pick. I'm okay with sitting there. I don't know. It might be, it's not an overrated pick. I'll just say that now. So, hey, Tom Brady went in the fifth round. So, just think of it that way. You're better than Tom me. Brady. Yeah. All right. So thanks again. Uh, anytime you want to come on, buzz me. You know you're always welcome. And hey, I thank you so much for everything. I know that there's people who are listening to this and go, wow, I'm not alone. And I don't like that we talk so much about me, but God damn it, that you have a way of doing that to me. So, um, but I've enjoyed that. And I hope people got stuff out of it. I hope people got something, whether it's business or personal or just going through something. And if you're going through something, Hey, you know what? You can reach out to us and we'll help. It's a community here. We'll all help each other. So absolutely. Yeah. So thanks again. I will talk to you really soon. I love you to death. Is anything you need, you know, I'm here for you anytime. Hey, so I got, we're back here and uh, wanted to say hey, just a couple of things I wanted to touch on from that conversation. If you bear with us through it, it was a long convo and we went through a lot of stuff and, also, just kind of all over the place. And I think the biggest thing I got, Ellen was great and she brought up something. She said, what's your worth built on? Is it built on how you feel about yourself? Is it built on how others view you and how you feel others view you? I think that's something that a lot of people in our age group in our 40s are kind of going through. You know, when you're younger, you think about, well, what do other people think about me? I think the older we get, we start thinking about what do we think of ourselves. And I think, I hope that came across in that conversation, is that, remember, your worth is built on not what others think about you, but what you think of yourself. And I hope that that was something that you got out of that. Uh, also, hope you got a little background on me. I, I welcome your questions. I welcome any feedback. And uh, I just want to say a huge shout out to uh, Ellen for joining us today on the Coach Bonos Show. I want to thank Tyler Jones and everyone at the stu- uh, Studio Soapbox for all the, the work you do behind the scenes. Thank you. Most importantly, I want to thank you, the listener. Don't forget, please rate us, review us, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, anywhere you get your podcast. We appreciate every five-star rating and five-star review. Until next time, I'm Coach Bo, Brian O'Connor. Why you do something kind for someone? And don't forget to be good to yourself as well. We'll see you on Friday with the Point Five Podcast. Have a wonderful day. Take care.